Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Hello, faithful podcast listeners. Pastor Adam here. Hey, we wanted to just give you this uh, quick announcement. First of all, I want to say how much we love you and thank you for listening to this sermon podcast on the Potter's House Church here in Virginia Beach. And just wanted to give you a heads up, we're making some changes to this podcast uh, that's going to benefit you and also our ministry here in the Potter's House Church. So just to inform you, we've switched our podcasting host. It's a service called Anchor, and that has allowed us to uh, receive and generate some income through the placement of a couple of advertisements during our podcast. So we just wanted to inform you of this change because going forward, you are going to hear one or two 30-second ads during each podcast uh, sermon. So um, as a result of that small inconvenience on your part, it means that our church can monetize these podcasts and also that means that we can receive some financial support so that we can continue the work of winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. So we just wanted to say thank you again for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for sharing these messages. And thank you for your patience as we make this helpful change. We hope you have a great day. God bless. A Knoxville, Tennessee newspaper article described a meeting of Al-Anon It's an organization that's designed to help the families of alcoholics. The journalists described the 12 steps of Al-Anon, which are based on the similar steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. The article began with these two steps. Step one, we admit we are powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. Step two, We come to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. One of the attendees at this meeting hesitated to accept that second step. Not all the women were willing to admit that they needed to be restored to sanity. In fact, one of them adamantly maintained that she had never reached a point of insanity. But another person at the meeting stood up and said, Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. How many have heard that quote before? Amen. Can I ask you a question? Are you insane? Have you been doing the same thing over and over again? Have you been getting the same results Wondering why? Are you irritated? Are you annoyed? Frustrated? Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired in your life, in your finances, in your relationships? Are you sick and tired of of being sick and tired. Brother Andre, could you grab my wife for me real fast? I think she ran off to the office and I need her desperately in the sound booth like in the next couple seconds. <laughs> uh, amen. Got a video to show you. And so, amen, I need the person back there to click the button. Amen. <laughs> but let me ask you, are, uh, have you ever had that feeling? I keep doing the same thing over and over again. And I'm not seeing any, any results. We've come to know that as the very definition of insanity. Now, I want to show you a video, 
And uh, right before it plays, I just want to give a, a small warning uh, to everybody who's going to watch this. Um, the person in this video, you might recognize him, uh, he's, he's going to use a couple of words that aren't bad, but some Christians, I don't, there's one of them for sure I don't use, but I've heard other Christians use them and see absolutely no problem with them. You'll be able to pick them out for yourself. So just a, a word of warning uh, before we watch this. Some of you will recognize this right off the bat. Touch over 30 years ago, Sharon and I hit bottom and filed bankruptcy. We were scared. Our marriage was hanging on by a thread. We had two little babies. So I was forced to look at what I had been told my whole life in academia and what I had been told by this stupid butt culture we live in, that you can borrow your way into prosperity and that borrowing money is a way to win. I was forced to stop and look at that. Now, when I was a kid growing up, Mom and Dad used to take us to sales seminars and motivational seminars. They were in the real estate business. And there was a great motivational speaker that I had the pleasure to meet and become friends with several years ago. I'd admired him from a distance for many years. His name is Les Brown. He lives over in Los Angeles. Les is an African-American speaker, and he is a blast to listen to. And Les says, the people change their lives... Only when they become sick and tired of being sick and tired. People only change their lives when they finally stop and say, That's it! I've had it! I'm not living like this anymore! You've got to have an I've had it moment. American Express called my house and asked my wife why she would stay with a man that wouldn't pay her bill, his bills, and she called me crying at the office because she was thinking the same thing. I've had it with American Express. I hate that company. Thirty years later, I'm still pissed at them. I've had it. I'm not living like this anymore. I don't borrow money anymore. Don't call me and ask me when it's okay to borrow money. It's not. I've had it. Get it? You feel it? You feel how visceral that is? That's when you change your life. Not when you're a wuss and you intellectually analyze something and come to a conclusion. That doesn't work. People change behaviors when they've had it. I'm not living like this. I've had it. You come home drunk again, I'm done with you, you bum. I've had it. You hit me again. You look at these kids cross-eyed one more time. I am out of here. I've had it. People change their lives and transform crummy conditions when they say, I've had it. Have you had it yet? Or are you listening to this show for entertainment? And you're academically in inspired by some of the calls. They call it, I watched a few of the YouTube things, and it helped me for a minute, Dave. That's so ish, it's a wish. We're doing Dave-ish, and that sucks. Debt sucks. Stop it. Have an I've had it moment. Have you had an I've had it moment? If you've had one, we want to talk to you. That's what this hour is. It's our I've had it theme hour. When you're ready to tell debt to kiss your butt, I've had it. I'm done with debt. Debt sucks. I'm not living this way. I don't care what my broke, stupid friends think anymore. If you have an opinion about my life, you should keep it to yourself because I'm going to be living it. And if you want to come in and analyze my thoughts, tough. When you reach the point you don't give a crap what other people think, you have a shot at winning for the first time in your life. Until then, you're trying to please a bunch of people on Facebook who are so fake they can't, can't even find their butt with both hands. It's unbelievable. If you Instagram your little shallow life away, to a point, you've got to have a point where you go, as for me and my house, we're not doing this. And you got to have that. It's, it's a healthy level of righteous anger. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I've had it. If you're there, I want to talk to you. I want to hear your story. 
or maybe you reached that point a while back and it changed your life. And I want to hear what 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 was it? You were you what was it? You couldn't pay a bill? What was it? Your sick kid, you couldn't pay the doctor? What was the thing where you finally said enough? I'm going to get this stupid money thing, this stupid debt thing under control. When did you say enough? You got to get mad. This is not an intellectual exercise. Behavior modification is not an intellectual thing. It's a visceral in your gut. You got to feel it in your chest. Your voice tone has to change. Your octave needs to shift. Stuff needs to happen, baby. Spit needs to fly out of your mouth when you're talking about this. You've got to have an I've had it moment. It's the only way it works. And that, that's, that's how we've gotten people out of debt for 30 years. It's how Sharon and I have avoided debt. We just built a $70 million building with cash. Who does that? We do. Because we said we've had it. 30 years ago, we don't borrow money. American Express, you can kiss my butt. Bank of America, you can kiss my butt. Visa, I don't need you to have a good life. I certainly don't need a freaking car payment. I've had it. So you don't, don't you see this? Do you feel it? And only then will you change and permanently change. The depth of your belief, the depth of your conviction has to go beyond an intellectual understanding down into the visceral parts of your soul and your spiritual walk, and then you will be transformed. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Anyone want to take a guess of what the name of this sermon is? I've had it! Have you had it? Have you had it? Now look, this sermon does not follow the normal sermon format. Uh, I want to take a look at two stories from the Bible that you may not realize are actually opposites of each other. Now, in both uh, of these situations, Jesus heals someone. Amen. I love Dave Ramsey. I don't know about y'all, but I, I, if you've been to fi our financial peace class, almost every class is like that. It's, I've had it! People changing their lives. And you know what? It only happens when you, when you have, you know what he's talking about? That visceral in your, in your gut feeling? It's a spiritual place. It's not a, it's not an intellectual place. It's a spiritual place. Now, uh, anyway, before I go down that rabbit hole, amen, uh, I want to uh, draw your attention to John chapter 5. And so I want to, uh, am I, we're actually going to look at two Bible stories tonight. And we're going to kind of compare them. But I want to see, uh, I want you to see yourself in Scripture. You know, that's how you have to read the Bible. You have to not just read it and say, oh, well, this is a nice story. This is what happened. Oh, that's, uh, oh, these are nice thoughts. Find yourself in Scripture. Apply it to your life. So after we read these two stories, I want you to, uh, to, uh, to really be honest with yourself and, and, and uh, figure out which story you find yourself in. John chapter 5, I want to begin in verse 2. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whosoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. 38 years. Okay. It's a long time. I don't like to be sick 38 minutes. I'm, I start to feel sick. I start looking for the day quill. Right away, right? 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. The Jews, therefore, said to him who was cured, It's the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to carry your bed. He answered them, He who made me well t uh, said to me, Take up your bed and walk. Then they asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? 
But the man who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus found the man in the temple and said to him, See, you've been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him, because he had done these things on the Sabbath. So, what do we know about this situation? Picture this. You go over to Mount Trashmore. It's the only lake we have around here. So, (laughs) you go over to Mount Trashmore. There's just multitudes of sick people lying around on the grass. And every so often, the water starts just bubbling like there's a geyser in it. Okay? And so, the people there, the Jews, they're religious people. They say, an angel comes down and stirs up the water. And whoever gets in that water first gets healed. Okay. Now, a lot of people thought this was superstitious, but the problem with that is that people were getting healed. And so whoever got to the water first got healed. Now, what do we know about the man in this story? We know that he's been sick for almost four decades. Four decades. We know that his disease is debilitating. He apparently can't move very well. Bible scholars think that this man may have had the palsy, which was very common back then. And palsy is basically, it's paralysis. You know, you have uh, one side of your body or both sides of your body, and they're in paralysis, and you can, sometimes you have uncontrolled shaking. And so it's it's a horrible thing. But look at this. The man claims that he has no one to help him get to the water. And so this is where I begin to have a problem with this guy's, with this story. Here's why. You'd think that after 38 years, this guy would have positioned himself a half inch from the water. And then as soon as he starts seeing the, you know, the angel come down and start troubling the water he would just get his finger in the water like like that and he'd be healed right and he claims he has no one that will help him someone always gets there before he does if this is true that means that all the other people who have gotten healed before him have not felt bad enough for him to stop and help him the next time the water gets troubled. I have a really hard time believing that. Someone's genuinely healed of their disease. I mean, not everybody, of course, not everybody. Some people get healed and they just say, all right, thanks, and they go about their business and you never hear from them again. But there's a multitude of people out here. You'd think one, one person would see this guy and go, my gosh, this guy's been out here forever. Hey, I got healed this time, but hey, listen, bro. Next time that water gets stirred, I'm going to make sure you get in there. You'd think one person, but instead, there's no one to help me. He's like Eeyore. There's no one to help me. Everybody always gets there before me. Everyone hates me. No one cares. The whole world is against me. You ever ever meet a person like that? Everyone hates me. So this tells me that this guy is either lying. Maybe he's never asked anybody for help. He's a man, you know, and men are notorious for not asking for help. Just ask a woman. So, or, or... Something he said makes me think that maybe he's not as sick as he's letting on. He says, while I'm still coming, someone steps down before me. So that means that he's at least able-bodied enough to start moving toward the water. Okay? What we also see is that this guy is a pity party excuse maker. When Jesus asks him, Would you like to be made well? The guy doesn't go, yes. 
This should be a very simple answer to this question. Yes. Would you like to be made well? Yes. That should be it, right? Instead, he gives an excuse. Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 37, let your yes be yes, and your no, no. Anything more than these is from the evil one. Jesus said that, not me, okay? So the way Jesus responds to this guy says a lot. Now, a lot of times you read a Bible story, you just kind of read it, you get the facts, and you just kind of move on. But if you really read into this story, Jesus doesn't ask the man, do you believe in the Son of God? Do you have faith? Do you, do you, believe, I am, do you believe I can heal you? He's done this other times in the scripture. If you read other accounts of him healing people, he'll generally ask them a question or two. More than just, do you want to be healed? And say, you know, do you, do you believe in God's only son? He'll, he'll ask them a, a question of faith and deal with whether they believe. He doesn't do that with this guy. As a matter of fact, Jesus doesn't even identify himself. He doesn't say, by the way, I'm Jesus. I'm the son of God and I'm here to heal you. And I can heal you, and you need to have faith in me. He doesn't say any of that. He simply, when, as soon as this guy gives his excuse, oh, sir, there's no one to help me down to the water, Jesus says, arise, take up your bed and walk. And he just keeps going. He just, mo- he just moves along. It's almost like Jesus is saying, I don't want to hear your excuses. Just, I'll heal you because I'm good, I'm gracious, and I love you. I'll heal you. Just arise, take up your bed, and walk. I got others. I got other stuff to, other people to heal. Amen. We also see that this man is ungrateful. When Jesus heals this man, we don't find any language in the Bible indicating that this guy said thank you. Remember when Jesus healed ten lepers? They they cry out to him. Jesus heals all of them. Ten lepers, oh, we're healed. How many turned back and said thank you? Same thing here. He heals this man. Just The guy gives him an excuse. He just says, I rise, take up your bed and walk. And just keeps going. Later, when Jesus finds the man in the temple, Jesus went to, to the church and found the guy. But guess what? We have a second meeting with Jesus and this guy that he healed. And he didn't thank him then either. Next, this man is likely lying. Does anyone think else think it's strange that this guy has made it 38 years with whatever disease he has? How's this guy been eating this whole time? I mean, you ever, ever think, like, someone's got to be helping this guy. Either either someone's helping him to prepare his meals, help him go to the bathroom, or, you know, whatever other help he needs, or the guy's actually able to feed himself, which back then, that was no small feat. How many know? They didn't have drive through and uh, microwaves back then. You couldn't throw a hot pocket in the, you know. You, feeding yourself was hard. So either this guy has somebody who's helping him, or maybe he's not quite as sick as he lets on. We also see that his disease was evidently due to his own sin. So when Jesus finds him in the temple, he says to him, see, you've been made well. It's almost like he had to remind him. See, you've been made well. Why did he have to say that to him? So he says, see, you've been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. The only other time Jesus used that phrase, sin no more, when he tells somebody, stop sinning, is when uh, the woman is caught in adultery and brought before him. You remember the scene? They bring this woman caught in adultery in the very act, and they bring her before Jesus, and they say, the law says we should stone her, but what do you say? Jesus, uh, amen, it, you, it's a marvelous story how, how he responds. 
and he, uh, uh, all the people, they, they drop their stones, they leave. He rescues this woman, and he says, sin no more. It's the only other time he uses that phrase. But let me tell you something. Her sin got her in that predicament. There's no doubt about it. You know, yeah, yes, he was gracious. Uh, yeah, where was the guy that she was caught with? All of that is, is true. But one thing's for sure. Her sin did get her in that predicament. And apparently, likewise, this man's sin got him that disease. Because when Jesus finds him, that's what he talks to him about. You've been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. Last we see, this man is either selfish, evil, or both. So, when Jesus tells him, sin no more, what's the man's response? Does he say, oh, yes, Lord. Lord, I, I, yes, you're absolutely right. I sh- you're right, it was my sin. I, I understand. Lord, you healed me. I'll do whatever you say from here on out. Does, is that what he says? Nope. Instead, verse 15, the guy runs to the Jews and rats Jesus out. And then verse 16, because of that, the Jews sought to kill Jesus because of this man. So, tell you all that to say this. One thing's for sure. This man was content to never get healed. He was content to live in a state of perpetual excuse making. He would have stayed next to that pool, blaming others for not getting healed until the day he died. Maybe he enjoyed, I don't know if you've ever met anybody like this, but maybe he enjoyed the pity it brought him. You ever meet anybody like that? Drive me crazy. It's like they're, they're, it's like they thrive on pity. Oh, woe is me. But he, this guy was content to be sick the rest of his life. However sick he really was, I don't know. But he was he he was he never got to the point where he was sick and tired of being sick and tired. after th- You'd think after 38 years, this guy would have said, I've had it! I'm not living like this anymore. Somebody just, just throw me in the water. I'll, I'll float until the angel comes. Amen. Never did he get sick and tired of being sick and tired. Nothing in his heart ever said, I've had it. Now, with that in mind, uh, let's, let's examine a second story. This, for this one, we have to flip over to Mark chapter 5. Begins in verse 25. Now, as I said, this, both these stories, Jesus heals somebody in both of these stories. But the way that they, that they play out is almost exactly opposite. Chapter 5, verse 25, book of Mark. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood 12 years. Some of you know this story already. And had suffered many things from many physicians. How many can identify with that? I've suffered many things by many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus... She came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment, for she said, If only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched me? But his disciples said to him, you see the multitude thronging you and you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has, been, has made you well. Go in peace and be healed 
of your affliction. Now, no doubt you've probably heard the, the story of the woman with the issue of blood preached many, many times. If you've been saved a while, if you've been saved more than a, a couple of months, you've probably heard a sermon about this woman. So let's, but let's break this down. What do we know about her? Just like the man in the other story, she's also got a disease. Now, her disease is not debilitating. She's not got paralysis. But her disease has other consequences. She would have had to wear special clothing because of Jewish law. She has... A, a blood flow, a hemorrhage. Some women call this the, her their cycle. You know what I'm saying? Only it didn't stop after seven days. It's been going on 12 years. So, according to Jewish law, she would have been considered unclean for that entire 12 years. What's that mean? means she wasn't allowed in the temple. She's not allowed to pray with her family. She's not allowed to be close to her friends. She's not allowed to be close to her family either. Give offerings. She's not allowed to go to the temple and just give an offering. She couldn't even do that. She couldn't listen to the sermons that were preached. None of it. She could not fellowship with her people. Additionally, more than just going to the temple, amen, going to the church, she would have to avoid crowds. She'd have to avoid public places. Because anyone she touched would also be considered unclean, even if she just did it by accident. John MacArthur, a great Bible teacher, wrote a commentary on this. He Here's what he says. The stigma and humiliation of such a hemorrhage like this woman had were perhaps second only to those of leprosy. Such an affliction was not uncommon, and the Jewish tradition prescribed 11 different cures for it. Among the remedies, most of these are very superstitious, was carrying the ashes of an ostrich egg in a linen bag in the summer and a cotton bag in the winter. Another involved carrying around a barley corn kennel that had been found in the dung of a white female donkey. Isn't that pleasant? Mosaic law specified that a woman who suffered such a discharge of her blood many days, not at the not during her regular menstrual impurity, or if she has a discharge beyond that all the days of her impure discharge shall continue as though in her menstrual impurity she is unclean. Any bed on which she lies all the days of her discharge shall be to her like her bed at menstruation. And everything on which she, she sits will be unclean, like her uncleanness at that time. Likewise, whoever touches them shall be unclean, and shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and also be unclean until evening. That's Leviticus 15:25 through 27. After seven days without any bleeding, then a woman was considered clean again and could then offer the prescribed sacrifices in the temple. But the woman who approached Jesus, the woman with the issue of blood, had no remission of bleeding for 12 years and was therefore perpetually in a state of uncleanness. Her condition caused her to be excluded from the synagogue, the temple, because she would contaminate anyone and everything she touched and render them unable to participate in worship. Even her associations with her own family, including her husband if she was married, had to be carried on from a distance. Just imagine this, what this woman's going through. Everyone would have known who she was. She wouldn't only be recognized by her face, 
but she'd be recognized by her reputation. Oh, oh, there, there she is. Stay away. Stay away. Stay away. Remember when we were kids and, oh, you've got cooties. That was childish, right? But here, here's adults saying, oh, there's that. There she is. Stay away. Stay away. She's unclean. You want to be unclean? Man, I don't want to be unclean. Just think of the scorn this woman went through. Not only that, but she spent all her money on doctors. I see not much has changed since 2019. Now, does this mean she's stupid for having done this? Not at all. All of us might have done this very same thing. You go to one doctor, they can't cure you. You go to another doctor, they can. Uh, another one, and another one, and another one, and another one, and another one. And it's not just to get well. It's not just, you know, we, we would go to the doctor, God, can you just fix whatever's wrong with me? But it's more than that for her. She also wants to be with her friends and family again. What this tells us, however, is that unlike the man at the pool in the other story, she'd actually been trying to get well. We have no indication that the guy in the other, oh, well, you know, nobody will carry me down to the pool. This woman has been going to doctor after doctor after doctor for 12 years, spent all her money. Doctors gladly accepted her money, but offered her no cure. Now, not only is she broke, but the scripture tells us she's gotten worse. Her condition has worsened. But she had something that the man at the pool didn't have. She had resolve. She was sick and tired of being sick and tired. All the doctors had robbed her. She was tired of being an outcast, and she sees Jesus coming. Amen. She sees Jesus coming. After it's all, after she's been robbed, blind, outcasted, scorned by society, she says, she sees Jesus coming, and she says, there's my only hope. What about you tonight? After the world has robbed you blind, kicked you down, outcasted you, can you look to Jesus and say, there's my hope? She sees Jesus coming. She says, that guy, that's my hope. Now look, in order to do this, in order to do what she did, think about how many rules she's going to have to break to do this. She's not allowed to go into a crowd, but she's going to have to go into a crowd. She's going to have to avoid being seen because the minute she, somebody sees her, they're going to cry out, unclean, unclean, everybody. And everybody, everybody's going to scatter. But worst of all, she's not allowed to touch anybody, right? She's not allowed to touch anybody. Why? Because she's going to make them unclean. But here she says, if I can just touch him, who's she talking about? Jesus. She's risking not only making the crowd unclean by accidentally brushing up against people, she's also going to make Jesus unclean if she touches him. <gasps> she could be stoned by the crowd for this. Not only that, I mean, would God strike her dead? I mean, he used to do that kind of stuff in the Old Testament, right? Just strike people dead. Would he strike her dead? But you know what? Still, despite all that, she says, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made well. She's sure of it. And she says, you know what? I don't care anymore if this costs me my life. I don't care what people are going to think. I don't care what people are going to say. I'm tired of living this way. I'm going for it. You know why? You know why? Say it with me. I've had it! 
if I die for this, I die for this, but I'm not living this way anymore. I've had it. Let me ask you, what about you tonight? Have you had an I've had it moment? Are you irritated, frustrated, annoyed, sick and tired of being sick and tired? Or are you insane? You doing the same thing over and over again? And hoping, kind of, hoping, sort of, that maybe someday something will change. Now, it's very interesting how Jesus reacts to the woman after she touches him. Luke's account in, uh, in the book of Luke, this is actually recorded in three out of the four Gospels. Matthew, uh, Mark, and Luke. Luke's account, Luke 8.45 said, Jesus says, who touched me? When all denied it, Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitudes throng you and press you. And you say, who touched me? But Jesus said, somebody touched me, for I perceived power going out from me. Some translations say, I perceived virtue going out from me. So picture this scene. Jesus stops in his tracks. Who touched me? The whole crowd's touching him. But it's like he doesn't even feel them. They're all touching him. But the person who touched a place that he shouldn't have even felt, that's what he felt. The hem of his garment. I mean, that's, that's like, it's like the cuff of your pants. You know? You're walking, somebody just reaches down, just barely just brushes the cuff of your pants. And he, who touched me? He shouldn't have felt it at all. But when, but when this woman said to herself, if I only touch his garment. Again, from John MacArthur, he says the phrase she was saying to herself is more precisely translated, she kept saying to herself which conveys the idea of repetition. She was saying over and over to herself, if I only touch his garment, if I only touch his garment, if I only touch his garment, I'll get made well. The single thought on her mind was to get close enough to Jesus to touch his garment. Jesus is so moved by this. Her tremendous act of not just faith, but courage. How much courage this took for this woman. This move was so powerful. This act of faith and courage was so powerful that the moment she touched the garment, her blood flow stopped. You realize that? It wasn't like Jesus stopped and then turned and said, I heal you. She was already healed when he turned around. So picture this. Jesus says, who touched me? Everyone says, not me, not me, not me, not me. He turns, and who is it that touched him? It's the unclean woman. <gasps> the crowd gasps. <gasps> the unclean woman is the one who touched Jesus. Scandal! What's, yeah, yeah, right, right, all of a sudden the paparazzi show up. Jesus touched my unclean woman. <laughs> Is Jesus going to humiliate her? What's, what's he going to do? What's he going to do? Every, you, know, you know that's what they're doing. Oh, man. What's he going to do? You know who that is, right? Is he going to rebuke her? Is he going to say, you know, how dare thine unclean woman? Is he going to, maybe he'll call down lightning. Oh, that'd be great. Man, do you see what happened today down in the market? Yeah, that Jesus guy was walking through and the unclean woman touched. Dude, it was awesome. You know that's how people are, right? Instead, Jesus, it's remarkable what he does. He turns to her and he calls her one of the most intimate names you can call a person. It's a name she probably hasn't heard in at least 12 years. What's he call her? 
daughter. Mark 5, 34, he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Notice he didn't say, you are healed, or you have already been healed. She already knew that she had been healed. In, uh, in Luke 8, 44, it says, She came from behind, touched the border of his garment, and immediately her flow of blood stopped. Jesus says, be healed. In other words, continue to exist in the state of wholeness from here on out. And then he says, go in peace. Notice he didn't say, go and sin no more, like he said to the other man. He says, go in peace. Can I ask you, when was the last time you had peace? Not, well, I'm just at peace with my awful circumstance. I mean real peace. Philippians 4, 7, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That kind of peace. When was the last time? But let me tell you something. The only way that this woman got to go in peace, healed, was when she said, say it with me. Catching on. You guys are doing good. This is good. What are you willing to do to get the peace of God? So I want to close and uh, very quickly think of the difference in the two attitudes of these two people that we looked at tonight. The man at the pool versus the woman with the issue of, the, of blood. It's, like, it's the difference between indifference and passion. Can I suggest to you that it's possible to be lulled into a false sense of security by your own bad circumstances? Here's what I mean. You've been living the same miserable way for so long that now you can't imagine living any other way. So it's habits. It's habits, addictions. These, uh, amen, people who, who, who know that the thing that they're taking in is killing them, but they can't imagine being without it. But the question tonight is, have you had it? If so, what you going to do about it? I feel like Hulk Hogan, what you going to do, brother? What you going to do about it? Will you be like the man at the pool? Jesus comes, he helps you once because he's a nice guy. Amen. He's merciful. But you're ungrateful and you sell him out at your first opportunity. Or will you be like the woman with the issue of blood? Will you say, I don't care what people say. I don't care what people think. I don't care what they do to me. I'm going to step out in faith. I'm going to touch Jesus. It's going to take extreme measures. You know why? Because your life only changes when you say the words. Let's bow our heads tonight in the house of God. Really do thank you. Thank you uh, for your attendance tonight. Really do appreciate. Uh, um, uh, I've, uh, anytime I uh, step behind the pulpit, it's a it's a great privilege. I've often said I'm really not a preacher, so it's uh, uh, so I'm really grateful to Pastor to to uh, allow me to to minister. Uh, and uh, I tell you, I really felt God on this one that you know that uh, this is what He wanted to minister, uh, and so. And so if you're here tonight and you've had it, you're sick and tired of the way you're living. You don't want to live this way anymore. The Dave Ramsey video we showed, yeah, he was talking about finances mostly. But he mentioned some other things. You come drunk and come home drunk one more time. You're out of here. I've had it. You look at these kids cross-eyed one more time. 
you're out of here. I've had this principle applies across all of life. Life changes only when you say, I've had enough. Maybe you've had enough of sin tonight. Maybe you've had enough of your sin. You've had enough of your backslidings. You've had enough of your compromises. And you just want to get it right tonight. You need to reach out and touch Jesus like the woman with the issue of blood. Who cares what people say, what people think? She was willing to die. She was staking everything on that moment. She reached out and touched Jesus. They could have stoned her for that. What about you tonight? Are you willing to say, I've had it. I'm not going to live this way anymore. That's the only way your life changes. You want to come to Jesus tonight. You want to reach out and touch him. Would you lift up your hand? Just lift it up, back down very quickly. Maybe you're backslidden in your heart. You've had it. You know what's right. You know what's right. But you've been doing your own thing for so long now. You turned away. Life happened, whatever the case may be. You turned away, walked away, and you've just been doing your own thing over and over, over and over. And it's, you've become insane. It's the definition of insanity, doing the same thing, expecting different results. But the result's always the same, if not worse. The woman with the issue of blood, doctor after doctor after doctor after doctor, and it only got worse. Maybe you're backslidden tonight and it's only gotten worse. Would you lift up your hand? We want to pray with you. You need to reach out and touch Jesus tonight. Would you let us pray with you? Amen. Want to open the altars tonight? Maybe you've got an issue on your heart. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's relational. Maybe it's some other arena of life that we haven't covered here tonight. But you know that... That, uh, that, that God's speaking directly to you about this issue and you need to bring it before him and, and say, Lord, you got me. I've, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm done with this. I'm giving it over to you. I've had it. Let's open the altar. Now, these altars are open. Please come down and pray. Do some business with God. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? make sure to sign up at our website, vbph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website, vbph.org, and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people.